The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, but, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my mother money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Probably similar to what many of you who are parents have done in trying to raise our kids. It's a mixture of several things. We do impart what our parents did in raising us, saying, well, mom and dad did it this way. Well, my mom and dad did it this way. Well, did that work? Well, with me it didn't, but with me it did. And you talk about it and you figure it out. Uh, for maybe a little bit of the rest of it, you look at other family and friends, um, couples that you know, and you look at how they're parenting, and you say, well, they seem to have it figured out. Let's do what they're doing as best as we do, or as best as we can. That plays into it. But another thing that we have taken into account is also the advice that you find in books. Of course, parenting books, like every other subject, you can find many shelves filled with them, and uh, it's take or leave it for a lot of it, and a lot of uh, different advice. But you find a good one, and it'll kind of give out a clear path for what to do, how to teach, how to discipline, and so on and so forth. Now, one of the parenting books that we have gone to early on uh, when we had kids, and now we're rereading again, it talks about the importance of consistency. It almost says you can do a lot of different methods of raising and disciplining, but whatever you do, you need to be consistent with how you treat the children. Because if you're not consistent, your kids are smart, and they will figure out very quickly how to manipulate you, how to wrap you around your finger. 
Remember one of the things, one of uh, my friends who recommended this book to me initially a few years ago said, don't do the thing where they're doing something naughty and you say, I'm going to count to five. One, two, and my parents did that with me and I'm sure a lot of you guys did that with your kids. I don't mean to poke you with that, but the point of the criticism was, well, you're teaching the kid that they've got one, two, three, and four in which they can just get away scot-free doing whatever they want. But between four and five somewhere, that's when you mean business and all you're teaching them is, Four and five is the real business thing. And you're also teaching them when you're not consistent and laying down, well, there's always ways to get what they want, right? Who of us, when we were really little, didn't figure out not just who to ask if we wanted something between mom and dad, but also, usually the female sex, if I just cry, I will get my way. Maybe that works for adults too sometimes, I don't know. But all of us knew, as when we were children, precisely how much we could get away with and how to do it. And I think the better we know our kids, the more we see that with them, that they know how to do it as well. And so it's important for us not just to have rules, but to follow through in consistently keeping those rules, offering consistent rewards and consistent punishments. But for Christians, I'd say there is an added necessity in consistent in good parenting, not just so we raise our kids well, but with Christians there's something also in the background for being good parents, and that is how we parent teaches our children what God is like. Now I've got to flesh that out a little bit before we move on. So even if it's never explicitly stated, I do think most children, children of Christian parents, will assume it. My parents reflect in some way the God that they worship. They reflect the God that they are teaching me about, the God that they are praying to, the God that they are bringing me to church for. Think of it this way. Parents who are all rules, all law, as it were, all punishment, when those laws are breaking, and parents who have no grace, that sort of parenting, well, their kids are over time going to think, God's the same way. God is all rules. God's all anger, God's all punishment, God's all wrath, and God is no grace. If every interaction is one of a standard that is to be given and punishment that will come if it's broken, and mercy is seldom doled out, if at all, well, God must think the same way about me too, and my relationship is that with him. And the result is that if the parents are not loving and forgiving, because rules will always be broken by sinners, well, then God must not be loving and forgiving either. Instead, he's somebody only to be feared. And I think in all honesty, if there was a ditch that maybe Christian parenting sort of veered toward in the previous generations, it was probably that one more than anything. But there's another extreme, and it's just as troublesome, too. And that is that if parents are permissive, lax, and easily manipulatable, well, then the kids will grow up thinking that God is the same way too. God is lax. He doesn't really care. I can manipulate him to get what I want just like I can with mom and dad. If mom and dad have no rules, or if their rules really don't matter, they never enforce them, never punish for breaking them, or if mom and dad are kind of naive and just oblivious and I can play them like a fiddle, then I think you're going to be hard-pressed to convince a child, a Christian child who grows up in a family like that, you're going to be hard-pressed to convince him that God isn't that same way. 
But that is indeed how so many people think God precisely is. In the parable from today's gospel, the foolish servant makes two big mistakes. The first is that he thinks that he can get off easy with no punishment for doing nothing with the master's money that he entrusted to him, the talent that he was given. He is given, along with the other two, an important charge. And what does he do? Zilch, nothing with it. All he does is get it dirty, burying it in the ground. And that is, in fact, what condemns him. That's what gets him in trouble in the end. But his second mistake really compounds that first mistake, and really it's the way of thinking that led him into that mistake. And that mistake was this. He thought that he could haggle, that he could wheel and deal with the master. That when the time came down to it, he could wiggle his way, argue his way out of the just and fair punishment that was coming to him. When he sets out on his truly unremarkable track of doing nothing with the money, he already in his mind has the reasons for doing so. Because he explains it at the end. Well, I thought this, that's why I didn't do anything. The master's a hard man. Reaping where he doesn't sow, gathering where he has planted no seed. So in view of this, well, I just won't do anything. I'll sit here and let the money sit here too. He wasn't hot or cold. He didn't turn to the left or to the right. He just sat there. And he had his defense for his inaction ready for when the master came back. And as the master, or rather as the parable says, so clearly the master, when he did come back, was having absolutely none of this guy's excuses. He calls him out in very sharp terms, you wicked and slothful servant. And then after that, he goes to work on him. You should have at least invested with the bankers. And then I would have what was my own, what you started with, and a little bit of interest. And then he says, take and give that one talent from this servant and give it to the others who actually had a return on the investment and cast out, one more insult, this worthless servant into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about that servant. He had his reasons, right? He even, let's say in his gut, it told him that's what was right to do. And they all seemed to him at least logical, reasonable, for him to take that course of action or inaction, as it were. But finally, in the end, to the one it actually mattered to, the master, they were completely and wholly unconvincing. And in the end, that is in fact all that matters. His opinion is what matters. Now, broadly speaking, this parable, I would say, is first and foremost about redeeming the trust that we've been given about living out our faith, as it were. We believe in the Master and His grace. He's given us time, talents, and treasures to live out with in this life, and we should show our faith by using them well. But I think this parable is also about this, what we're speaking about today, about accepting the Master, that is God's, position as God. His will, His reason, His logic being absolute and not our own. Many times and in many places, a lot of people in this day and age, it seems, have been given a complete pass in life to get away with whatever, to do with whatever they will. It happens in homes, 
It happens in school, it happens at work, and yeah, it happens, of course, it happens in churches, too. And through the inconsistency of people's fourth commandment authorities, the parents, the teachers, the bosses, and the pastors, their laxity allowing them to just do whatever, to wiggle out with it with their own reasons, well, this is why, that's only emboldened them in laziness and their own way of thinking. That is because they have been able to weasel out of the consequences of life. So many people, I think, have this belief that they can finally, when it comes down to it, do the same thing with God. And I hope we know better. Such a way of thinking is indeed woefully wrong, and it's a grave mistake, one which someone will be rudely awakened from if they stand before the judge saying, well, this is why I did not believe, or this is why I drifted from the faith. Here are my reasons. Christ the Lord will indeed judge us. We confess it every week in the creed, and he is no soft, indulgent parent or grandparent. He's not a chump that can be lied to and buy it. What he is is a righteous judge, one who knows hearts, one who will see hearts, one who will open hearts. That is who the master is. And so, as we near the end of the church here, take once again our Lord's very loving but sincere warning to us to heart. Don't hide from him and never ever settle on, well, I will argue with him. I will explain it to him and he will see things my way. He's given us this parable to help us see that it does not work that way. But rather, believe in your Lord Jesus Christ, your righteous judge, and live as though he is the judge that will one day look at you and God willing, say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.